This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Dallas Morning News, Sports Day, DFW, DallasNews.com, Ballsy Sports Podcast. I am Evan Grant with the world's longest intro, um, but I am in full control of everything here today. Um, Kevin is, in a strange turn of events, Kevin's son got married over the weekend, but now Kevin is apparently on a honeymoon in New York. Uh, but he has joined us from the honeymoon suite. Kevin, are you there? Let's let's clear that up a little bit. I am not in my son's honeymoon suite. Well, you're in your honeymoon suite. Oh, well, not exactly. Yeah, my my son is in Cancun with his lovely new bride, and uh, I am in New York. I came up here for the Cowboys game uh, last night, and now. The lovely wife and I are hanging around for a couple of extra days. We thought we deserved it. Uh, it was a fabulous weekend, but we were kind of exhausted. So. Well, I'm just going to say this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You know, uh, Kevin, uh, in, in my estimation, Kevin is like uh, the perfect father, and uh, his family is the perfect little family. And the photos that I saw from, from the wedding on Sunday – uh, just warmed my heart because you could just see how proud everything that the Sherringtons do really is is for their kids first and and the photos that that, that showed up just kind of really illustrated that so congratulations to you and Debbie and 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 most of all to Jake but uh, I'm glad it was a good weekend and uh, I don't know if you deserve a break but uh, I appreciate you joining me here today David isn't joining us he had no wedding this weekend I don't know where David is. David, uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for, very much for those kind words. It's, uh, I don't know how much deserved it is, but it is really uh, kind of you to say so. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. I don't want to act like we were, oh, oh my gosh, we're just exhausted. It's just that. Well, you're uh, old people. We it, 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 well, you're old. Debbie's not. Uh, yes, that's true. And uh, we did have the, the rehearsal dinner at our house, and, and we were so glad that the, that the weather turned out at least reasonably uh, uh, nice. It was it was beautiful. It was just a little on the chilly side, and and we are still trying to chip my father-in-law out of ice. So uh, it was because it was in the backyard. But anyway, um, and David uh, is, I think, uh, still on a flight back. He was complaining last night at the game that he was, uh, even before the game started, that in 12 hours he would be on a flight back. Uh, so uh, it was a little bit uh, travel crazy for, for David today. Well, we'll settle for you. Um, we we don't have high standards here, so uh, I, absolutely. 
that explains how we've stayed there so long. And, um, uh, you know, aside from your wedding, I think there's only one thing people would like to talk about more than that, and that is um, that's the black cat that was on the field for for a minute last night. And, boy, do people love when critters get on, on ball fields. Well, you can't beat it. Uh, it's, it's an all-timer, you know. The, all the other times, you know, I've seen uh, an animal on the field. Uh, uh, I was at a Baylor football game once where the mascot got on the field. That was that was still remains my all-time favorite because the, one of the handlers ran out on the field. It was it was a, a very rainy night, and the, and the artificial turf was very slick, and and he corralled the bear, and then he tackled him, and the two of them slid out of bounds. It was uh, it was a spectacular sight. Uh, the cat was not quite the same. I, I I thought it was interesting that Jerry Jones said after the game he he didn't understand why no one went out there and tried to grab the cat. Clearly, Jerry has never tried to grab a cat uh, in a, in the open field, and you can imagine how foolish that would look uh, trying to do that. So. At any rate, it, it was it was the uh, it was the highlight of the first half and maybe the entire game. Uh, I'm I'm voting for the entire game, and we'll get into that for in just a second. But uh, yeah, my wife was was also very concerned. Why is nobody going after the cat? And she is a cat owner. And my answer to her was, "Honey, this is basically a feral cat that's probably living in the stadium to kill the rats that are in the stadium." And then when we finally got a close up of the cat. I thought that cat could kill people. <laughs> it was a big cat, a very big cat. I, and and he—I I don't know if you saw the close-ups, Kevin. He was not happy looking. No, I, I'm sure he wasn't. And and uh, it was—it was—it was really terrific, though. It—it's uh, it, the kind of thing you, you like to have happen because as soon as it happened. I said, uh, turned to Michael Gelkin sitting next to me, and I said, "Well, I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the game." But lead yeah you got your you got your little cat lead right yeah yeah, yeah everybody absolutely. likes a good cat lead we love critters um yeah. but uh I, I we all do care what happened in the rest of the game kevin and um i, I think my summation uh, or the lead to my column would have been well that was the worst 19 point road victory in nfl history yeah, you know, we we were all kind of shaking our heads a little bit after the game. It was like we'd all, you know, as most people know, these kind of situations, you're writing on deadline, it's very late, you have to make up your mind what you're going to write. Uh, and if you watched that game, uh, you had to have watched the Cowboys kind of stumble and bumble around uh, for the better part of three quarters. And it ends up they end up winning by 19 points, and of course, one of those touchdowns came on a fumble return, so uh, that kind of... That knocks it down a little bit, um, and then when you but consider the fact that uh, the defense played so well in that game, uh, really limited uh, uh, the Giants every time the Cowboys would turn the ball over. You know they they kept turning the ball over in the red zone, making mistakes in the red zone, uh, moving the ball pretty much at will. A great night for Zeke Elliott, uh, 139 yards rushing, uh, and uh, I think that was his. his biggest output of the season um and at times Dak looked very good and then at times he he looked very average you know especially when you consider that in the first game against the Giants he had a, a perfect passer rating four touchdowns 405 yards passing he, he had three touchdowns in this game and uh um uh, and it only had one interception but it was a pretty devastating one considering it was the first play of the game and uh with inside of his own goalposts 
So it was, uh, if not for the defense, the game could have gotten away from them very fast. Yeah, uh, the defense played, again, the defense did play well. Um, And the Giants do have an elite running back in, in Barkley. But a big question that still comes out of this for me is how capable of an NFL quarterback is Daniel Jones at this point in time uh, in terms of, of leading an offense because the the mistakes he made were were, were dreadful. And I think if you've got even a, a semi-experienced game manager there, uh, the situation is, is significantly different. Well, I thought that, you know, the complaint against uh... – rookie quarterbacks and, and, and young quarterbacks, and Dak has been guilty of this over his career as well, is that they hold on to the ball too long. Uh, they, they don't make quick decisions and get rid of it. You, you can't stand back there and expect your offensive line to protect you for four-plus seconds. Um, I didn't think uh, that he was holding on to it that long last night. I thought that the Cowboys' pass rush was at times pretty phenomenal. Uh, they did blitz him a little bit, not a lot, uh, but uh, mostly they were able to get pressure from their now linemen. Um, and Michael Bennett, uh, you know, the recent trade acquisition, uh, was really terrific, but he wasn't getting a penalty. Um, you know, it seemed like he was flagged at least three times, once for lining up in the neutral zone, which is just the world's dumbest penalty. Uh, but uh, I, I was uh, really impressed with those guys, considering the fact that Leighton Van Der Esch was out. Um, you know, they limited Saquon Barkley to 28 yards rushing. That's just pretty phenomenal. Uh, he did get loose on a pass and took it down, down the field. Uh, had six, I think he had 67 yards receiving. Yeah, 56 uh, so of them on, one, was, on that one catch. Yeah, and he, so he was effective at least on one play. You can't, you can't hold down a talent like that for an entire game, but right. they, they did a pretty good job of it. Uh, so, you know, that's that's the kind of defense that the Cowboys uh, had last year. That's the kind of defense that's starting to show up now more frequently. And I think certainly the acquisition of Michael Bennett's going to only enhance that. The question is, is that why does this offense um, misfire and struggle so much? You know, when, when the Cowboys... Uh, acquired Randall Cobb. Uh, my feeling was that he would be an upgrade over Cole Beasley because he's a, a little more versatile, a little bigger, uh, a little you know stronger, uh, would have better yards after catch. Uh, and that just hasn't worked out that way. And last night was particularly bad. Uh, he, he fumbled in the red zone once. He dropped a pass in the red zone. And then he was called for a, uh, a, an illegal block when Jason Witten had gotten into the red zone on a nice run. So uh, it, it's – and he, then he's also had uh, trouble remaining healthy in other games. So uh, it's uh, – there, there were there were highs uh, of, of them, you know, being able to move the ball down the field, and then there were lows, uh, such as when Dak uh, missed a Mark Cooper by a good five yards running wide open to the post. Yeah. Yeah, that ball was – that ball was badly overthrown. Um, I, I don't even know what to think of the first play from scrimmage. Um, but yeah, he, he threw that right into the, the guy standing right in front of him. He throws it right yeah. to it. So I, I'm left with this again. It, it, after after the big win against Philadelphia, which we all feel like was the biggest test of, of who the Cowboys really are uh, this season, 
that may be the most accurate test. Uh, you come back and you play the Giants after what amounts to uh, 15 days of preparation. Um, and so what's your, what is your, what's your takeaway? Uh, the headline on your column is that, that all the Cowboys have is dominance in the NFC East at this point in time, which is you can't damn with any more faint praise than this because the Giants aren't even the worst team in the NFC East. I, is there anything that you stu- that you feel like you can take away um, as a as a legitimate talking point about the Dallas Cowboys going forward? No, I don't think we really know that much more about them, and that, yep. that's the thing we, we're still trying to learn. I think to your point, I believe the Cowboys since the start of last season, the Cowboys I think are nine and one uh, inside the division, uh, and they are six and eight outside the division. So, uh, luckily, they, they play in the NFC East. Um, that seems to be something that uh, energizes them uh, as opposed to the teams outside the East. You know, when you consider the fact that they lost to the Jets in that same MetLife Stadium, of course, an embarrassing loss, uh, especially considering what the Jets have done since then, which is basically nothing, including losing to the uh, Miami Dolphins. So... Um, uh, this team, uh, I, I think really what we're starting to learn, and maybe this is what we should just take from it, is that this is just who they are. You know, we, we want to know, is uh, are they the, the team that beat the Eagles and looked so good on both sides of the ball? Uh, or are they the team that gave the Giants hope for a large part of this game because of their failures uh, uh, on offense and their real failures on special teams? You know, you had uh, uh, Tony Pollard stepping out of bounds uh, on a kickoff, you know, at the 12-yard line of all things. It's just crazy. And then you had, they allowed two kick returns of 40-plus yards. So uh, those were, you know, those are the kind of things that you cannot do on the road uh, that will get you. Because that that crowd was not into the game. You know, it was... First of all, it was not a packed house. They they had out seventy six thousand. I don't know what MetLife Stadium holds, uh, but it was not a packed house, and it was a, a lot of there were a lot of Cowboys fans there, and uh, and then all of a sudden by the by the close to the end of the half, you started feeling like you know the fans are getting caught up in this game now, and now the, now the Cowboys are going to be in real trouble here if this thing starts to go the other way. And then they, they, then the Giants have the inexplicable pass that Xavier Woods uh, picks off, and that was just the craziest play, you know, to to run that at that point. Somebody on Twitter said, uh, "Hey, I just started watching the game. Why, why is Eli in it? Right. You know, right. uh, and, and it just, yeah, I just had the feel of of uh, uh, here's a stupid play that'll get you beat. The 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 the, fi- the 25 second clock run off between one minute and. 35 seconds left in the first half was some of the worst exhibition of football that I've ever seen by, by one club on, on both sides of the ball. So um, hats off to the giants on that because it was, it was dreadful. Um, yeah, it was, it was really bad. So I, so I guess the, the point is that so would they have been able to beat uh, an average team yesterday? I don't, I, I don't think so. Uh, not, not playing like that. They, they just, they, it, it just got sloppy at times. You know, Dak dropping a snap where he'd already turned his head and was going the other direction in the red zone. You know, mm-hmm. they were moving the ball down the field very well and uh, doing a good job. But then they would get in the red zone where they've been pretty good this season. 
and then they would they would really struggle more or less just shooting themselves in the foot. It wasn't a whole lot of what the Giants were doing. It was a lot of what they were doing. I mean, I, this this is a team that I think we both know is going to have to win playoff games on the road. Um, if they're right. going at least one playoff game to get to what you think is the benchmark for this team, which is they've got to get to the NFC Championship. Um, uh, the uh, the second. The second part of that whole element is that there is nothing there is nothing coming out of this game that leads me to think this is a team capable of winning on the road in a in a playoff in a playoff atmosphere. Uh and and the thing that I I guess bothers me the most is that this team this team piled up 10 penalties showed a tremendous lack of discipline uh and went over 100 yards in penalties for the third time this year uh they are one of only two teams in the NFL with with three 100 yard penalty games and you just can't do that no you can't not especially not on the road uh and uh, uh as i mentioned you know the the, the the penalty, I, I think that Michael Bennett had at least three penalties, uh, which is way too many on, on one guy. Uh, uh, some of the penalties, it got a little chippy out there last night. Uh, there were a lot of uh, plays along the sideline, things happening around there. Uh, you know, the Giants were getting a lot of flags as well. I don't know how much of that was. Uh, the, the, the refs were a little uh, overeager. Sometimes that's hard to tell, especially when you're just at the game and you're not getting to see, you know, the monitors that we have in the press box are about, I don't know, 10 feet over our heads. It's right. a little difficult to see. So uh, so some of that might have been uh, just a little whistle happy on their part. Well, but, uh, a, a lot of the uh, personal foul stuff came down to, uh, to who saw what first, and Will Hernandez of the Giants offensive line was involved in a lot of that and doing a lot of provocation. But my point again here is if this team has expectations, it, it, it doesn't matter. You can't strike back. You have got to keep stuff under control. And that to me was the most disappointing element of this. This team has high expectations. It can't afford to let itself get caught up in chippiness. Well, I think what, what that is, and without having you know talked to the players about it, and I don't even know if they would admit this, but when you're not playing well in a game, uh, it's frustrating, and then the other guys start to do a little something. Then you, what you're doing is not reacting so much to what they're doing, is that you're acting out on your own frustrations. Uh, and I think that's probably what was the case last night with the Cowboys. You know, they they knew they weren't playing well, especially on offense, and I think that they felt like that they were um, uh, frustrated about that, and they should be. You know. Uh, you know, they, they did have a, you know, a few times, like when Amari Cooper left the field, we thought he was out of the game. Uh, and then the next thing we know, he's out on the field again uh, and, and back in playing. So he didn't take it, you know, they, they didn't take advantage of the things that they did in the first game when, when Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both played very well and, and uh, were able to, to rack up some big yards. Uh, that was not the case uh, against the Giants last night. I'm not sure why that didn't happen. Um, it, it felt like uh, the Cowboys uh, were determined to, to get their running game going, and I, I don't really blame them for that on the road, uh, and especially with Zeke running the ball so well. He ran 23 times, which was uh, about average for him. Um, 
and and man, and his, yard, his yardage, and he said this. He said his yardage was as easy as he's ever picked up. Um, he had a lot of big holes to run through. Oh, there's no question about that. And you know, there was some question about you know he uh, as as hard as you know, he's a, of course a very hard runner. He, he didn't look real explosive last night. There were a couple of times when there were some huge holes, and he could have done some real damage uh, and, and broken off a you know a forty or fifty yard run. And you didn't see that happen. Um, so um, I think that what that says to me is that I, I want to know what's what's going on with him first of all because <laughs> he's got kind of a big contract, uh, but also. It, it kind of would lead you to think that, that maybe we'd like to get Tony Pollard in there a little more often in a game like that. With holes like that in front of him, he's certainly quicker uh, than, than Zeke is and uh, maybe what he could have done if he had gotten a hole like that. Kevin, what else do you have to add to this uh, to Cowboys talk before we move on to the next subject in our, in our smorgasbord? We need a better name for this than Smorgasbord. That's so old school. Uh, let's call it uh, the Buffet of Buffoons. <laughs> wow, okay, that's right. That's good. That's good marketing right there. Uh, okay. People, people like buffoons, and, and we're, we're, we definitely qualify in the buffoon category. Yeah, we are in the buffoon category. That's true. All right. Uh, well, no, I just think that the, the, that you... You, you got to make sure that you don't swing too far in this thing. You know, in between editions, I'm trying to kind of ease back a little bit on the pedal uh, in my criticism of the Cowboys in that game because they did win by 19 points. That was a bigger uh, point margin than it was in the first game when uh, they played so well and we all we did was talk about what a great start it was to the season. Uh, I think the key is is that we know that beating the Giants is not a big deal. The Cowboys haven't lost to the, to the Giants in three years. So uh, this is kind of just what they do, and they, they're to be commended for that, but uh, we can't read too much into it. Uh, we'll see where the Cowboys go from here. I, I, I don't see a team out there that they can't beat. I don't see a team out there that they can't lose to either, and I think that's the, uh, the problem uh, for the Cowboys at this point. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, and, again, for me, the thing to watch here is, You've got the Niners and the Saints, both it, it, it well, one is undefeated, one seven and one, um, and the Cowboys just, it's going to be hard to catch either one of them. We've talked in the past about how difficult the Niners schedule is coming up, um, but I, I still think it's going to be difficult to pick up three games on them uh, with half a season remaining. Uh, and and if, if, if the Cowboys can't catch either of those teams, they're going to have to win multiple games on the road to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and I, I just... My, my general takeaway is I don't really uh, feel like what I've seen from this team on the road is 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 terribly uh, confidence-inducing. No, it's not. Not since uh, we're, we're taking this team on a game by game basis. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, and and, and the, the thing I think the thing is when you talk about a team that you have to take on a game by game basis, a team that you're talking about is is to some extent kind of schizophrenic and, 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 and bipolar in performances, the chances of being on the upside of that coin uh, for three consecutive games against three consecutive quality opponents 
uh, and multiple games on the road, uh, you just don't like those chances. And and, and so I, I, I enter this week um, on the downside on on my level of optimism on on how far the Cowboys can go. So um, that that's the swing this week. Uh, well, nobody likes my swing. Uh, let's, Kevin, let's talk college football because, boy, was there a big game in Memphis on Saturday night. Big game in Memphis. Has anybody ever uttered those words? Did you have the over on that one? Has anybody ever uttered those words, big game in Memphis Saturday night? I think that uh, Elvis used to say that. I think he had a song called that. You know what I did find out during the game Saturday night because I watched the whole game, the whole SMU Memphis game. That Elvis was a was kind of a a forerunner. You were a little bit occupied on Saturday night, but Elvis was a forerunner in the modern for for the modern era of football watching at Graceland. He had a room set up with multiple TVs to watch games on uh, uh, from multiple stations. Wow. And he and he had a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich every uh, time somebody scored. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he uh, that's that's one of the things that uh, the Saturday Night Crew uh, informed us of during the SMU Memphis broadcast, uh, and it was one of the few things that they were able to talk about that didn't involve scoring, based on how uh, out of hand the scoring in that game got. Um, you didn't. You didn't get a chance to watch any of this game. You you were you were involved with more important things. I, I, the takeaway clearly here is SMU's chances of of going to a, a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, they're done. Um, I think you you talked to Sonny Dykes earlier this year, or, or was it Sam Blum that talked to him? Uh, and he said, you know, they'll kick us to the curve the minute the minute that we face some adversity, and and they did on Saturday night. Yeah, they did. I think it's possible. You know, Memphis could lose, and Boise could lose, and then uh, you know they're from the group of five. They would they could be the highest ranked if they were to win out. Uh, that's it's still possible, but I just think that it's uh, probably unlikely at this point. I, I think the thing that uh, you know, and there was some talk at, during the reception uh, about uh, what SME was doing and how the score was going. So. For them to rally, that 22-point rally at the end of the game, and at least make it close, uh, really showed something. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, the really sad thing about that is is that, you know, you would like to think that your special teams would at least be decent. You know, you don't have to be – it's hard to be great on offense or great on defense, but your, your special teams are usually just all about coaching. You know, make sure we, we cover all our angles here and we'll get this thing covered. And, uh, their special teams and that have cost been, them the game. Their special teams have been by far the, the weakest element of this team all year. You know, and it put them in a real bind in the Tulsa game, too. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it, 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 that certainly is not top 25 caliber. Uh, but I, I was impressed that they did keep things together when it, when it certainly appeared on the road in front of the biggest crowd they've played in front of this year, down 22 points, they did rally, and they had a chance, you know, with an onside kick uh, to to have a shot to tie that game. Um, uh, that part of it was impressive, and I, I am I am impressed by the fact that, that they simply won't go away. I, I, one stat that was shown uh, when SMU got down big in the fourth quarter was that the at the, uh, at the CFP level this year, um, 
I believe teams are 1-208 and when down by at least 14 points entering the fourth quarter, SMU being the one win, and, and they were in position to potentially sneak off with a second uh, on Saturday night. Uh, I, I think now this uh, – but what it does is it, it, it moves them most likely out of the Cotton Bowl scenario, and so you're going to end up in all likelihood with a, a – I guess a Baylor – uh, and I've seen projections that have Baylor against, uh, the PAC 12 runner up. I've seen, I've seen some projections that have Baylor against a, 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 uh, big 10. You're talking about the cotton ball here now? Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? I'm sorry. Yes. We moved on to the cotton ball. Okay. Thank uh, you. I, I, I don't see a real attractive cotton ball, um, matchup coming from, from what, what they're going to have left. Well, the problem is going to be is that uh, they're going to get stuck any, with the Group of Five team. Actually, they're going to get stuck with with Baylor versus like a Cincinnati or Baylor versus a Memphis. Yeah, and that, and, and that wouldn't be great uh, for the Cotton Bowl. You know, the, the problem uh, the, the Baylor does a good job uh, filling up home games, uh, and, and that's a relative home game to go to the Cotton Bowl. I'd be interested to see what they draw and what they bring in. Uh, Baylor can hold its own. You know, when there was some feeling that if, if it had been better than SMU, uh, that that'd be really difficult. That's two private schools. SMU a small private school. Baylor fairly small. Uh, not not a huge fan base on either side. So or alumni base on either side. So uh, that would be problematic for a, a, a bowl game, especially in the year six bowl. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens now. Um, you know, it's just so hard to tell. You know, you know, we do our little, uh, um, you know, Texas uh, ten of the, or whatever it is, ten or twelve, uh, the top uh, football teams in the state, D one, and uh, and now Baylor's number one, and and rightfully so. Uh, but uh, you know, the Bears still haven't. Uh, they've got a couple of good wins, uh, but but they they still have something to prove, uh, and I guess you know they've. At this point, got a legitimate chance to, you know, maybe to beat Oklahoma. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that all goes. But um, it's not it's not been a great year for the Big Twelve or teams from Texas. And, and well, it was a good year for SMU until Saturday, anyway. And I, I just don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't see a route for for Oklahoma to get back into um, into the playoff scenario, just because I don't think that. They end up playing the team that beat them in the uh, in the Big Twelve championship. It's 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 going to be Baylor. It's either going to be Oklahoma, Baylor two, or or Baylor and somebody else. And um, uh, it, it's uh, because of the way the rankings stick. And we've got the first CFP poll, first CFP poll coming out today. Uh, but I just I think with the two Big Ten teams stacked ahead of them, uh, and you know you've got two Pac-12 teams stacked ahead of Oklahoma. I think it's going to be really difficult for for Oklahoma to uh, to creep back into the top four. Well, the problem is is that you know beating Texas was no big deal. Uh, they didn't. They don't have uh, Oklahoma does not have a great schedule. Their strength of schedule is not great, and uh, it's not going to be great from here on out. The Baylor. If they beat Baylor, then that's that's a pretty good win. Uh, not a not a 
great win. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we know how the committee looks at these things. Uh, the coaches on the committee are always impressed with uh, how physical you are, uh, you know, the, the kind of talent you have on the offensive and defensive lines, how good your defense is, and then they look at the offense last. Um, so uh, that's not that doesn't exactly describe Baylor strengths. So uh, Matt Rule has, has done a terrific job. I you know I think you know we I don't know if we've had this discussion. We should uh, about who's done the best job in the state uh, coaching up his team this year. Well, that's between Sonny Dykes and Matt Rule. Um, and I would think at this point that it's still neck and neck. Uh, Sonny's done a, an unbelievable job uh, bringing this team around and, and bringing it to this point, even even with the loss. Uh, Matt Rule has done the same though at Baylor, uh, taking a program that was had hit bottom uh, with all the problems in the Art Riley regime and what uh, what he left uh, for Matt Rule, and he's turned it around and done a terrific job. Uh, so. Um, I'm not sure uh, what this is going to mean, though, uh, for the rest of this season. I, you know, it just uh, it feels to me like, uh, and I thought Oklahoma was going to walk in, maybe not walk into the CFP, but I thought it was going to be one of the four. And now at this point, I believe that uh, it's going to be, you know, uh, Clemson, Ohio State probably, uh, and then depending on what Alabama and LSU do this week, if that game is close, Either way, uh, and then uh, I think it's entirely possible that both of those teams get into the playoffs. Well, I, th- I think if this game is a close game this week, and then the team that wins, uh, if they win the SEC championship, I think it's really strong possibility that both LSU, that both teams end up in the top four. The other possibility is you've got you know you've got a one loss Georgia team at number six. If they then go to the SEC championship and beat either LSU or all Alabama, then all of a sudden now you've got the SEC champ with the SEC champ uh, is is Georgia, and then you've got LSU and and Alabama both at one loss. So there's two scenarios there where where the SEC is going to be sitting pretty for two teams again. But right now Ohio State is making a strong case. Um, and Clemson again, obviously, is, is, is got a strong case, uh, and, and that's what I think it comes down to: is does the Big Ten get its team in this year? Uh, I think it depends on what Ohio State does with the in the Big Ten championship game. Well, I think it'd be really hard for the committee to leave the Big Ten out again. Uh, that's you know, it's the second best conference in uh, football, and to be left out two years in a row, that would be well. Uh, you're, I mean, you're talking about real struggles but, then about uh, – that's when you start getting presidents talking about, hey, let's rethink this thing and get it to eight to teams. And what, the people who don't want it to be eight teams are going to uh, are gonna say, hey, we need, to, we need uh, to look a little more favorably in the Big Ten direction. Well, I would just I – would, I would say this too, though. Um, Ohio State's remaining schedule includes uh, Penn State on November 23rd and then the big game against number 14, Michigan – on November thirtieth, and then you've got the uh, then you've got the Big Ten championship. So there are no guarantees that 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 team that that Big Ten champion is going to be even a one loss team either. So well, they're not, but that's the thing, and that's what they had. That's what Ohio State has going for. Besides, of its obvious talent, is that look at the schedule they're playing. 
And then just what we were talking about a while ago with Oklahoma, they don't have that kind of degree of difficulty. Yeah, uh, I, I, you, had, you had to. If you're Oklahoma, you had to, to run the table, and and you had to do it convincingly. If Ohio State wins the Big Ten, they're in. There's no doubt. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, the uh, and I think very very much again. You could you could no matter what the scenario is, you could see you could see another movement towards hey, let's go to eight teams on this because it, it, there are going to be eight playoff caliber worthy teams. I think when when all is said and done. Well, especially when when teams when multiple teams from one conference are getting in or get in, and that, that if that happens this year, that that'll be at least twice, I guess, if that's happened. Um, then you will have the Pac-12 saying, "Hey, we're sitting out here and we're getting left out all the time." Uh, you can't have teams from the uh, conferences from the Power Five getting shut out multiple times. It's okay for it to happen maybe once every four or five years, but when you're having, when it's happening to you two or three times in a four-year period, that's that's too much. And so then that's, you're right, that's what's going to happen is that uh, that these teams will say, uh, you know, we need to talk about expanding this playoff format. That's what our old pal Tim Brando has always said. If you want to get to eight teams, the best thing that can happen is if the SEC keeps getting two in. Right, right. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up to you is the, the uh, um, I guess, the, the leftovers of the SMU loss. Uh, I, everybody's got different things that they're drawn to that are, um, that are speculative. And uh, the thing that always kind of jazzes me up are bowl game projections during the season. Um, yeah. And, and so in the most recent uh, ESPN um bowl projections uh, i was kind of intrigued by one uh specific uh prediction and that was a liberty bowl um projection by kyle bonagura that had smu going back to memphis to play the university of texas at austin how about that well that would be uh, smu say- would love that Oh, SMU would love it. There's no question. SMU fans would love the idea of that. Texas fans would not. Our Texas officials would not, for sure. Because here's the deal. If you beat SMU, you're supposed to beat SMU. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't get anything out of that. And should you lose that game, you, you, you lose a lot there. Because mm-hmm. uh, the last thing you want to do is put SMU on the same level as you are. You know, Texas being a Power 5 team and – and the uh, flag, one of the flagship schools of the state, uh, does not want to play other schools in the state. This is why Texas wanted out of the Southwest Conference and wanted the breakup of the Southwest Conference. It felt like it was carrying the, the league, and then all these uh, private schools in Houston were all uh, kind of uh, not bringing much to the table, and they were uh, getting the benefit of playing in a league with Texas every every year so uh the so that no that's the last thing they want is to be playing them in a bowl game i don't know how much that would impact any of that uh with all the the bowl tie-ins and what uh, they would want to do you know the, the problem for texas is that last year you're playing in the sugar bowl against georgia you're making this huge statement or at least and that's what sam ellinger made afterwards when he said texas was back right. well as it turns out not 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 so much. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, to go from that to playing SMU in the you know the Liberty Bowl, if that were to be the case, 
uh, that that's a that's a big step backwards. Of course, they've already taken that step backwards. You know, this is this is the problem for Texas. You know, it, it just cannot seem to sustain an effort. Uh, we talked about the Cowboys being a team that goes from one week to the next, and you're never sure exactly what, you know what it is or who they are. Uh, you can say the same thing about the Longhorns. I, I can't tell you who they are. You know, they're 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 just all over the map. I know they've had a lot of injuries. Uh, and they're playing with a lot of young guys, especially in their secondary. But that team, Ryan Sam Ellinger, that team runs its quarterback more than any other team that I that I know of. The uh, I just need to point out that the other the other projection for an SMU bowl appearance by Mark Schleybaugh is not nearly as enticing for SMU fans. It is. Uh, uh, the SMU versus Buffalo matchup at the uh, Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl in uh, in Frisco. Um, so, uh, the, nothing against our friends in Frisco, but no, that is that is that no. would be uh, something of a come down for the SMUs. Uh, I I do want to point this out. You know, I I would say that we could get to see a, the testing of the bonds between Texas and, and ESPN um, if the Liberty Bowl in this projection, if the Liberty Bowl was one of the bowls that ESPN operates. It is not. So uh, I would think that had it been one of the bowls that, that ESPN operates, the message from Texas would be um, you will not be selecting us to be playing SMU in any bowl that you operate. No, I wouldn't think so either. Um, but, you know, if you look at the bowls, you know, if you're not playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, uh, the only attraction is uh, do we get to at least play in a nice place? Yep. You know, are we at least playing in Florida, you know, for the holidays? I mean, that's really, besides the, the old standbys, how many of these bowls do you really want to play in anyway? There, I mean, there's there's not a lot, you know. I mean, there just there just aren't, um, and uh, it's hard for me, it's especially with just it, with some of with some of the corporate sponsorships. The names are now so bad that it just makes me not want to go there based on that. Even if it is a decent location, I, I do not want to go to the Cheese It Bowl or the Gasparilla. Well, Gasparilla is a festival. I that's festive. I mean, I know it starts with gas, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it's 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 festive. Um, uh, the Quick Lane Bowl sounds like you're going to actually actually going to a bowling lane. That's in yeah. that's in Detroit. Um, yeah, that, that can't be good. A bowl game in Detroit. I mean, nothing against Detroit, but Detroit over the holidays. I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it's just. It, there's not a there's not a lot of attractive sounding bowls anymore. Um, uh, the other thing on the colleges that I wanted to bring up is FSU fly, fly, fired fired Willie Taggart less than two seasons in, and one of the chief rumors that has immediately surfaced is that uh, local um, coach um, uh, of the Dallas Renegades, Bob Stoops, would be a candidate for the uh, FSU job. So my question to you, Kevin, is Based on some of these openings that are coming available, does Bob Stoops ever coach an XFL game? I think it's a great, that's a great question. You know, uh, I, I I wondered all along why in the world 
Bob wanted to get into this uh, XFL thing. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to him at the press conferences when he, uh, when he was hired, but that's not a good forum for that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I don't know how honest Bob would be with me anyway, even in an off-the-record conversation about all of it. Uh, I, I think he was trying to send a message that, listen, I'm still available. Uh, I'd be interested in anything that might come up. Uh, I don't know how much his personal situation has changed. You know, we never did really get a reason for why he decided to retire at Oklahoma. The, 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 it, he did intimate that some of it was health-related. Uh, you know, his his father was a, a coach and, and basically died coaching the game. Uh, so... I think that Bob was concerned about that, uh, and uh, but then he got out and then realized, man, this is that was a lot of fun. You know, just like every other coach who ever quits, they can't, they never get it out of their systems. Uh, so, you know, I don't. You know, that, that for a long time, uh, the speculation was that Bob might end up coaching the, the pros and maybe either the Browns because he's from Ohio or the Cowboys because. Every time an Oklahoma coach wins, he he ends up coaching the Cowboys. Um, so um, would he go to Florida State? Um, you know, that's a little bit of a situation there where um, uh, it, it, Florida State feels a little bit like Miami to me. Uh, that we, You've had charismatic coaches who have done great jobs and won in those places when really they shouldn't win. Um, because they don't have great, either they don't have a great alumni base, which is the case of Miami because it's a small school, or they don't have great facilities, which is the case with both schools. You know, neither Miami nor Florida State have spectacular facilities. That's why uh, it's one of the reasons why Jimbo Fisher was lured away to Texas A&M was not only because the Aggies' facilities were better, but they will probably uh, make sure they they keep them that way. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you can really compete anymore uh, at the national level if you don't have those things. Uh, it's just recruiting is just so hard now. And and for Bob to go to Florida State, which has been on a little bit of a downswing here for the last couple of years, and at his age, and do you really want to work this hard? And can you get the the alumni to to do something? Uh, that they weren't doing for Jimbo at the end, uh, I just think that'd be really difficult. Yeah, I, I, I just here's I'm I'm not going to answer this question directly on where Bob Stoops ends up going, but I still would. My guess is still this that I put it at more than fifty percent. Uh, that Bob Stoops will never coach a game for the XFL's Renegades. Well, I think it's entirely possible. I think it's imp- it's entirely possible that uh, we don't see a game of the XFL Renegades. I I, I, I think they're going to play. I just don't know how. Will they play more than one season? Uh, uh, I, 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 I don't know. But I, you know, right now they are doing. They're chiseling out eighteen rows and reconfiguring the Globe Life Park. Um, but have I, you seen, have you seen that yet? Uh, I've just seen a picture or two, um, but uh, uh, I have not been back in the park um, uh, actually since the, the the day before the work started. So um, 
I, I just I, I have my doubts about Bob Stoops and the XFL. You know, I, I don't know how long that legal lasts. I don't know what the market will be for it. Um, and, and I think that there are. I think if he's in, if he's involved, if he wants to coach, he can make a lot more money and be um, be a lot higher profile guy with a college program that's going to come along with an offer here, whether it's SF, whether it's FSU or not. Um, that's the question, and I get what you're saying. Does he want to work that hard? Um, and that will, I think that'll be the ultimate question is how hard does Bob Stoops want to work at this point? Yeah. And I will say this too, about that XFL thing, who are the players on this besides Landry Jones, who are the players on this uh, Dallas team? You know, who is the draw? Why would fans want to come out? What we've learned about Dallas area fans is that they will support the best. They will support, uh, a number one frontline sports. Uh, if, if you are a knockoff, if you are a, uh, a minor league version of something that is already in the market, then yeah. no, they're not going to support that. I, I uh, agree. I, I feel like if the XFL wanted to go the route of, if, if they wanted to be sustainable in terms of attendance, um, I, I think it would have been smarter to go to like mid-market type cities that don't have NFL franchises and don't have real major, major college programs there. You have to fill that niche for a high quality of football uh, that they can't that they can't get. I, I do not see fans going out to watch football in mass in February and March in 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 Dallas Fort Worth, and especially uh, when they can go to when they've gone to Cowboys games and they can sit inside and be comfortable. I don't see them wanting to go outside and be cold. People don't do things when it's cold here in DFW. Well, they'll always try to sell it to you by saying, oh, this is a market that loves football. Yeah, it loves football. It loves good football. Uh, it does not love football for the sake of football. And uh, to think that you would go out there, as you said, when it's really cold, and you know how that is here, uh, sometimes it's worse in February and March than it is, uh, you know, in November and December. So... Uh, yeah, the weather will be bad. The, the, the teams won't be good. They don't know these players on the teams. It's not like there are a lot of local guys. You and I had uh, had joked that if they were really smart, they would have gone out and got Johnny Manziel. Yep. Um, and, and what we heard was, no, 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 we're not interested in that kind of thing. Uh, I, I think, you know, you got Daryl Johnson as the general manager of, of the, the Dallas team. I think Daryl is really convinced he wants to show people that he can build a roster. And that's that's well and good, uh, but it doesn't mean that you're bringing marketable players in here to fans who are going to just say, who are these guys, and what does it mean that they're beating these other teams, even if they do? Uh, I don't know if that means that they're good teams, uh, and I just don't. I just don't see the appeal. So, so back to the original question of, of whether Bob Stoops would want to uh, continue to coach that. I think the entire reason that he took this was to show people he still had the fire in the belly, and if something comes up, I'm ready. So to your point about uh, would he take the Florida State job, I think it'd be appealing. I think he would certainly consider it. Uh, he does have some ties in Florida uh, for when he was over there uh, to the, in the state. So uh, I, I think that that's something he would think about. But what he'd have to also think about is uh, – at what level am I going to compete there? Am I going to compete for national championships, or am I doing what Mac Brown did and going to uh, to North Carolina 
you know, Mac just simply wanted to prove that, hey, I got shoved out at Texas and that was a bad deal, uh, and I'm going to come back and kind of rebuild this program because I was here before and this will be a nice story. Uh, is that really what Bob wants to do? He didn't get shoved out of Oklahoma. He left of his own uh, accord. So I, I don't think that it's the same kind of situation, and, I, and I, I'm just not sure that's exactly what he wants to do. I hear you. I hear you. Um, Kevin, let's wrap up a little uh, our smorgasbord here with just a little quick Rangers talk, even though there's not much going on. We can we can continue to argue about how how much money they should spend this winter. And I, the more I the more I research it, the, the more I research it, um, the more I, 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 I do tend to agree with you that if this team really wants to make an impact as a contender, um, I think they're going to have to go beyond uh, $30 million. To To what extent, I, I don't know. And, and I don't know that, you know, nobody has said $30 million is going to be um, the threshold. I think that's all been kind of, uh, kind of a, a range. And, and in the past, when this team has wanted to get better and, and, and John Daniels has presented something to ownership, they have been able to act, but... I think if you want to make this team significantly better, you you better be willing to push forty million dollars in terms of of added payroll. Well, I don't think there's anything question about it. And, and you know, here's the thing about uh, adding that to the payroll: we're not talking about this being a Shinsu Chu contract where it's for seven years. I'm I'm talking about depending on who you get. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to get Garrett Cole, and I don't think they're going to get Anthony Rendon. And I don't know that I would. I think certainly you would have to, if you could get uh, Garrett Cole, you would have to, to do that. I think for for my purposes, if you've got Josh Donaldson uh, in a three-year deal for, for $20 million a year, if you got him for three years and $60 million, that's not a bad contract. Uh, and it's certainly, you know, there, there are no bad contracts in my mind for four years and under if you're at least competitive. I think the Rangers proved this year that they were competitive um, and, and did it uh, with a team that underperformed significantly on offense. I, I, I think there is reason to believe they could be better next year offensively, and certainly if they had a third baseman like Donaldson, they could be much more productive. Um, and maybe not a full year of Jeff Mathis as, a, as a, your basic starting catcher would help as well. And if you've got decent production from somebody at first base. Uh, so I, I think that there's reason to believe that they can be better because of the young guys on the team who showed some promise this year and guys who should at some point start to do something. Uh, so uh, adding to that and making it competitive and not putting yourself in a position where you're going to be uh, paying off a, a, a long-term contract uh, to, to guys who may not be that productive uh, should not be things that uh, keep them from from uh, making an effort. I, I think that uh, you know you look at this, and um, I feel like they've got to add three bodies, and and there are multiple ways they could add three bodies, but I, I feel like they've got to add three three legitimate pieces um, to to be a. To be considered real contenders, um, one of those for sure has got to be a starting pitcher, and one of them has got to be a third baseman. Now, 
how you do the rest of it, whether it's a go out and get a first baseman um, or if it's a, a, a right-handed hitting outfielder and you make a trade uh, or if it's a second pitcher and you really try and, and, and uh, boost your starting rotation into uh, elite territory, I, I think you've got some flexibility there. But I think there are three. There are at least three bodies that have to be added, and and I didn't even mention catching as one of those. But if if you address catching uh, in a significant way, uh, then maybe you can get by with um, subpar offense at first base if, if if it's Ronald Guzman. But you've got to add either either make your rotation um, one of the top three in the American League, which is going to take some doing. Uh, or you've got to add at least one starting pitcher to make the rotation, uh, let's say, top top six, um, and and give your lineup the balance and the depth that is necessary. So, uh, and, and for me, based on what I'm seeing, I think to get these kind of everyday contributors, whether it's uh, – and, and I agree with you that the more I think about it, the more – uh, it, it seems impossible that you're going to be able to add Rendon or Cole, even if you were willing to spend $30 million on them and get anybody else. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I look at that next tier of guys, somebody like a Zach Wheeler as a starter. I look at that, that tier of hitters uh, like Donaldson on the high end, maybe more like Maybe more like Mustakis if you find a right-handed hitting uh, a right-handed hitting answer some at another position. Um, Grandal will be in the in the mix among the the catchers out there. There will be some tradable pieces uh, available out there, but you've got to y- y- when you add it all up for this team to spend money that might actually produce dividends. You're going to have to invest probably closer to forty million dollars, maybe even a little bit above that. Well, I don't think there's any question about it, and I think the thing that we have not really hit on very hard is that what has been the big complaint about the Rangers, you know, for years? Well, when are they going to have more starting pitching? Well, you know, there have been times when they've had people at the top of the rotation who were very good. When you Darvish was very good, when Cole Hamels was good, and for a brief time they were very good together. Uh, but uh, this year we had two pitchers uh, at, in the top of the rotation who were going to finish in the top ten of the Cy Young voting. They've never done that before. Uh, and it, what a shame it would be, in my mind, not to take advantage of that next season. I mean, I, I'm not guaranteeing they're going to be able to duplicate next year what they did this year. But if you look at the numbers and see what people say about those numbers, they are projectable for next year as well. And so I, I think that uh, what that tells me is that's been the hardest thing for the Rangers to find. They have always found offense some way. And so this year the offense was not very good. I, I think that it's entirely feasible that if you get a full year of Joey Gallo, if you get a full year of Danny Santana playing one position uh, and playing like he did last year, if you get a full year of Willie Calhoun, those three guys in the outfield are capable of hitting over a hundred home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and how many how many teams can say that? Uh, 
uh, I, I think that if 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 Odor uh, takes a, a turn uh, finally and puts things together, then then he's a plus player at second base. Right. Uh, certainly, Elvis realizes that he has to do better than he did last year. But they but they have a hole at third base. They have a hole at first base. They have a hole at catcher, and they need another uh, pitcher. They can't fill all those holes. Uh, and and I, if I were ranking them, I, I certainly put the third baseman and the, and the starting pitcher one and one A. Mm-hmm. Whatever way you want to do that, I think they're both equally important. Well, uh, but I think the question is, I think the question is, those are bo- those are not priorities; those are imperatives. They've got to yes. they've got to improve in both those areas. But you, you, to my point, you've got to add one more other one more other um, bat. And my my question is, is it the first baseman? Is it the catcher? Or do you just take a right-handed bat that you could then play in the outfield and be willing to trade Mazzara? So what would be your next uh, – on the rankings, if we've got one and one A, what comes in basically at, at number three? Yeah, I, you know, I think what we looked at last year was that as great as Guzman is uh, defensively, that – it just doesn't make that much difference, uh, and, and I hate to say that because I love defense, uh, and I love to watch Guzman play first base, but uh, you, you've just got to have more production from that position. Uh, it, it's amazing to me what little production teams are getting from their first baseman. Most of them are just league average, uh, and... Um, and the Rangers were not even that. Uh, yeah, it, it really starts to draw me. The whole that whole idea really starts to draw me towards um, Jorge Abreu. Um, I mean Jose Abreu. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. The guy's an RBI, RBI machine. Uh, he's been durable. I think he's going to take a two or three year deal, probably in the fifteen to sixteen million dollar range. The drawback now is that the the White Sox extended him a qualifying offer, so the Rangers would lose a second round pick if they were to sign him. Uh, and if they if they sign, there were ten guys that were offered um, qualifying offers, and uh, among them were Zach Wheeler, who I think the Rangers will have interest in, Cole, who I think the Rangers will at least have a conversation with, um, uh, Abreu, who the Rangers I think should have a conversation with. Uh, Rendon, who I think the Rangers should have a conversation with, um, and, and Josh Donaldson, I believe also. So, uh, of, of the, of the 10 guys that were offered qualifying offers, I believe I counted up at least six that the Rangers need to have conversations with. And the question would be, can you, are you only going to be willing to part with one draft pick or would this team part with more than one draft pick, uh, to sign these guys? Yeah, it'd be hard to take to give up two picks. Uh, I really think uh, you know in the scenario that I just offered a minute ago, uh, in which uh, it was uh, from left to right, Calhoun, Santana, Gallo. Obviously, that leaves Mazzara out. Now, something we haven't talked about that you have brought up uh, somewhere, at least I read, was uh, what about Mazzara playing first base? If you don't want to give up on him, uh, do we have any idea at all whether he could play? first base uh, I don't know that the Rangers have any idea I do believe they've had that conversation in the same exercise that I've had which is Mazzara is a subpar defensive outfielder Joey is in is an above average defensive outfielder and I think as a right fielder with his arm um, and, and with his range 
he would be an elite right fielder. Uh, so if you could have elite defense in right field and you could get Mazzara's average to above average offense with the ceiling to be higher offensively, could you take, even if he's just a passable defender at first base, um, uh, as a way to keep him in the lineup? And I, I think it's something the Rangers uh, will at least investigate or, or have conversations about with him. I don't know if it will ever get acted upon. But, hey, this is a team that's talked about versatility for forever, right? Right. Um, why would you're you... You're playing Logan Forsyth over there. You're playing Danny Santana over there. You're playing You're playing all kinds right. of people at first base. Why would you not it's try not a 6'5 guy? Yeah. That. Why would you not try a 6'5 you know, guy over there who whose bat you think can play and can play higher um, and, and who has not been good defensively in the outfield? Why not try that? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to at least see him in spring training. You know, I'd like to see what he could do in that position. Uh, as we noted earlier, even great defenders don't make that much of a difference at first base right. as far as the metrics. You know, it's all about offense over there. And if, and I under, listen. I understand the Rangers thinking we don't want to give up on this guy. The last thing we want to do is trade him, and then it turns out Bill James is right. And he is the next Miguel Cabrera, you right. know. Uh, uh, and of course, he moved around a little bit too uh, on the on the diamond. So uh, I, I just think that that's if you don't have uh, for the lack of anything better else to do, if someone doesn't knock you over in a trade and tells you, listen, I'll you know I'll, I'll give you a first baseman and and a uh, you know and a, and a prospect of some kind for for uh, Mazzara. Why not just go ahead and tr- think about trying him at first base? Uh, it takes some of the log jam out of the outfield. You're replacing in a position where you already had a deficit. Uh, his numbers, his numbers in the outfield at first base uh, are going to be a big upgrade over what they've had the position over the last couple of years, anyway. Absolutely, so, absolutely. And if uh, it's, if it's a way for you to get Calhoun, Gallo, uh, Santana all in the lineup at the same time. Uh, it, it certainly it certainly merits more conversation. Yeah, the only problem with it is it's awfully left-handed still, and uh, and then if you if you can't get Donaldson, then and if you got Mustakas too, then wow, you're really left-handed. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I I think it, at at that point it becomes an imperative that your third baseman become right-handed. But at the same point, let's say you miss out on Donaldson and you're not going to go to thirty million dollars on Rendon, are you going to walk away from Mustakas to take a lesser player? One thing that I think is very interesting that I would like to bring up, and I um, uh, I just brought this up in in wrapping up my my one of my positions and analysis is analyses is this: uh, the New York Yankees did not offer D.D. Gregorius a, a qualifying offer. I saw that. Um, D.D. is D.D.'s twenty nine. Uh, you know, the last five years, he's been a better defensive shortstop than Elvis Andrus. Uh, would you consider the possibility of of signing a guy like Gregorius, who's a switch hitter, um, and and moving Andrus to third base and and playing DD at shortstop? My problem with that is that, is that Elvis's numbers. I'm sorry, Gregorius is. A, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gregorius uh, is a so. is, is exclusively a left-handed hitter. I'm I'm sorry about that. I thought he was a switch hitter. I got him yeah, and Profar I, I, screwed up in my brain for a minute. Uh, 
Uh, and my, my problem with Elvis moving to third is that his numbers offensively weren't good for a shortstop. They're sure not going to be good for a third baseman. Correct. Um, but so if you miss, I, if you miss out, that's the thing. If you miss out on Donaldson and and uh, if you miss out on Donaldson or Mustakas, or you decide that you can't go left-handed with Mustakas, you're going to have to start thinking creatively again, or you're going to have to, or you're going to have to go back to somebody like an Asdrubal Cabrera on a one-year deal, and uh, you know. As Jubal Cabrera is a world champion now, but I don't think he played like one with the Rangers. He did, he did with the Nationals. He was terrific for the Nationals uh, over that over that time period. So yeah, you know, you're right. I I I, I think they 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 don't need to overpay necessarily for uh, Josh Donaldson. But I, I really like what he could bring to the team on a number of uh, or a number of factors. One, I think he would bring a little more edge to that that clubhouse, and, and I think he could use a little more edge. I think it was a little soft last year, and and we, and we of course we talked about that with Elvis and his leadership and things he needs to work on. But I, you know, you are who, who you are, and uh, and he's not a guy. He's not going to be Adrian Beltre, and, and you know, I don't want him to be that. That's not who he is. Uh, but he certainly can't undermine anything either. Uh, and he has to at least establish a standard that I'm going to work really hard day in and day out and do the things I have to do. So would, uh, I, I did briefly think about that when I saw the Yankees didn't offer Gregorius, who, by the way, was once traded for Shin Su Chu. Um, uh, but I, I, don't, uh, I just don't think that, that moving Elvis to third is going to to help you. It's certainly not going to help you offensively. Uh, I mean, you're getting better no. at shortstop because Didi is better offensively. It's not going to help you Elvis offensively is. at third, but I mean, you you'd have to look at like the swapping out of is Gregorius's offense commensurate with what you would get on the lower end of the third base spectrum, um, and he's got more pop than Elvis. Uh, but the again, you you run into that whole left-handed issue. Um, yeah. And so, well, plus, we were, you got to ask yourself the question. Remember when they moved Michael Young to third base? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't work out so great. So, you know, just because you can play shortstop does not mean you can play third base. It's two different third base is a reaction position. Shortstop is something completely different. Uh, True. So, uh, I, I'm not sure Elvis would be uh, crazy about that idea either. No, I don't know that he would be. But uh, at this point in time, uh, one thing the Rangers have to do next year somehow is create um, both for Elvis and, and for Rugnet Odor, and I think it's probably easier at second base than it will be at shortstop. Um, yeah. They've got to create not necessarily competition, but that these guys have to earn their playing time. Yeah, well, there's no question about that. Absolutely. All right, Kevin, I'm going to let you go. You, you've spent way too much time. You're in New York City. You're down there by Madison Square Garden. You need to get out and go explore the city. We're going to do that. I think we're going to eat at Katz's today for lunch. All right. So let me just real quickly, if you're going to go to Katz's, okay, and after my experience at Katz's last week and after talking with our good friend Mark Lamster, I'm more of a corned beef guy than a pastrami guy. Yeah, me too. But don't order anything other than the pastrami at Katz's. You know, it's, it's fabulous. I once had the waiter there. After I not the, not the waiter, the guy you walk up to the line and he's the guy slicing the beef, which was just unbelievable. Uh, and then right after we came back, he was in a commercial for, for American Express. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Now I'm and also going to give you to kill a mockingbird tomorrow. Oh, good. I was going to ask you if you were going to see that while you're there, and I hope you are. So good. I'm happy. 
Um, Especially because our middle son, uh, our, 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 not our middle son, our, our second son, his middle name is Atticus, so we felt obligated. And everybody needs to know that To Kill a Mockingbird is your favorite book, your favorite movie. You love yeah. that. Um, I do love it. Uh, one other hint. While you're down there at Katz's, okay, and I forget yeah. the direction, whether it's a couple blocks uh, further uh, uptown or, or, close, or you turn around and go back downtown, go to Russ and Daughters and get a, yeah. a couple of little pastries there. That what's, will come, what's the name of it again? Russ and Daughters. Russ and Daughters. And I would I would recommend the Ruggalach of my people. Um, oh, I love that. To to complete your whole Jewish Lower East Side experience. <laughs> I will do that. All right, Kevin, I'm going to let you go. Give my regards to Debbie. You guys enjoy New York. We will see you next week. I'll be on the phone from Phoenix next week. Uh, but David and Kevin should both be here. Beautiful. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.